And so I, you know, so I cleaned, we got like, you know, I got all his guns out. He had a gun there and he had like all this money and like incriminating stuff. And Thanks for joining me for the premiere of Strangers in Passing. My name is Beverly Teresa. I'm a social media strategist from Edmonton, Alberta. The point of this podcast is to get to know people that you and me would otherwise most likely never connect with in our lives. This season, I interview people who come from all backgrounds and experiences. I talk with everyone from the owner of a fashion PR company to a past drug dealer. To kick off the new podcast, I wanted to open up this series with something different, something that not everyone can relate to. I thought I'd start with an interview with my friend and past roommate, Alan. Now, if you saw Alan on the street, you'd either think, one, this dude is cool AF, or two, I'm going to walk on the other side of the street. Thank you very much. So heavily tattooed, tall, and always wearing Dr. Martens, Alan can look intimidating, but trust me, dude has a kind heart and tries to stay clear of trouble now. In the past, not so much. I got a chance to talk to Alan about rumors I've heard about him, which I kind of confirmed myself when I lived with him, but never into this much detail. On this episode, we talk about being in a gang, selling crack, going to jail, being accused of being a fascist by a stranger on Twitter, and so, so, so much more. did we live together like two years three years i I think it was two years or just shy of two years and so you don't live in that house anymore do you no i don't i sold it uh about a year ago do you feel free now not owning a house oh yeah i totally felt trapped trapped (laughs) yeah like it was just this well i got the house because i was dating that girl where i was engaged to that girl who had those kids right and I was like, oh, I need a house. And I got my mom to help me like co-sign for this house. And then that relationship fell apart. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't want this house. I'm like, I'm not a big house guy. Like, I don't yeah. want to work on the yard. You're a bachelor. <laughs> yeah, bachelor. Just living free. So I have heard many stories about you through Blake, who I was dating at the time. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to get the gossip from you directly. So I want to talk to you a little bit about your past. Is that okay? Yeah, that's cool. Okay. So I heard you were in a gang. Can we talk about the gang? Yeah. Uh, What do you want to know about it? (laughs) What kind of gang was it? Uh, We were drug dealers, and it was a mix of white whites and uh, Asians because there was the Vietnamese guys who ran it, like at the very top. Uh My direct boss, he was also a top-tier guy, but he was white. And, uh, but yeah, it was just, we just rolled around, sold crack. Was that in Edmonton? That was in Edmonton. What, like, what was that lifestyle like? Like you probably had a lot of money. Uh, yeah. Money was like, that was like one thing I never worried about. And booze and bitches. Booze and bitches. (laughs) Uh, yeah. Yeah. We had our fair share of that. And, um, like none of the guys smoke crack or like, like cocaine, like you weren't allowed to do hard drugs. Like, okay. all guys, like the drugs, like, like all the, you know, we were like kids. We're like 18 years old and some of us even younger. And, um, like everybody would get together and you just smoke weed or you like go out to like the bars. Cause this was like 2003, 2004 oh. when I first joined the gang. Okay. And, How do you uh, join a gang? Sorry. Um, I was recruited. Um, 
my buddy in high school, like we were both skinheads in high school and, uh, and then he quit to go sell drugs. Cause like my yeah. boss, I can say his name, Jeff, <laughs> my boss directly, Jeff, like he, he knew this kid because he was friends with his older brother okay. and that's how he recruited my buddy. And then my dad kicked me out cause he was tired of like my punk rock skinhead stuff. <laughs> And uh, I needed a place to go, so I called my buddy, and uh, he's like, yeah, you come stay with me and Jeff, and I did. And then at the end of, like, a weekend of partying with them, they're like, do you want to, like, click up? And I was like, sure. So the whole, like, you have to get jumped in thing is, like, not for everyone. No, no, no. <laughs> well, some gang, some gangs, yeah, like, like okay. street gangs, like, like, you know, like, we didn't do jumping in. It's like, yours as much, like, I even had, we had guys who just did it part-time. And I know a guy, I had a, a guy who worked like later on, like when I had my own stuff going on, he worked for me just for the summer to pay for school. Oh, so yeah. it's like a drop in and work thing. <laughs> Anyone Anyone? Can do it. Think of it as like you, you get as much as you put in. Interesting. So like I was like 100% committed, like everything I was doing from then, from then on was 100% outlaw. Like I, I didn't. Everything was under a fake name. Like I never used my real name for anything. Yeah. And uh, it was just cash. No bank accounts or nothing. Cash only. So if you didn't have a bank account, weren't you afraid that you were going to lose your money? <laughs> Did you put it in your um, mattress? No, I just kept it on me. Like, oh. But the way, I, the way I lived my life, it was like I'd make $1,000 a day. i go spend $1,000. We had shifts. Like I had a 12-hour shift. My shift was the night shift. It was from 9 p.m. to 9 a.m. And uh because we were revolved around a phone, which was right. like, there's some, it was a contract because back then you could have burners, but it was better if we had this, like an actual lamp, yeah. like a line. And yeah. uh, so, you know, we pass off the phone. I got 9 a.m. My shift was over. I'd go to like, to our runner house, we called it because we were runners. Yeah. And that's where we all lived. And I'd give it to my buddy and buddy would take it. And then, and then, yeah, and then my shift was done and I'd usually, you know, crack open a few beers or maybe I'd stay up and go to the mall and go spend all my <laughs> money. And yeah, I mostly spent it on clothes and drinking and <laughs> of course you know, did. impressing waitresses and strippers <laughs> with my big wad of cash. And that was what was important to me. So after like I hear when people retire, they sell their phone. Um, typically, yeah. how much can they make from selling like, let's say a really good phone? A really good phone yeah. up to upwards to like, I'd say $30,000. $30, really? Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Like when I, eventually when I sold my phone, like it, it was, it wasn't doing so good by the end of it. And I sold it for like 15 grand. And then why did you get out of doing that or that lifestyle? Um, I basically kept doing that. Like, you know, was involved with a gang because of Jeff and because of, Buddies I made in the beginning and like we looked at it as like like this was a solid crew. Like I still have like my gang tattoo. Like I haven't yeah. covered it up. And like and I and what happened was is that Jeff, that guy, like my boss, like we I became like his right hand man through it all. Mm -hmm. And then he died on his birthday. We were up partying all night and uh like like just drinking because that's all we did. Yeah. Well, you know, as far as I knew, that's all we did. And then um uh, if I look back on it now, I, I remember he was acting weird that night. And now he can get going. And like, I want to make it clear, like, this was a man of, like, respect. Like, I yeah. owed, like, the things, how I carry myself today, I learned a lot from him. So I'm, I just want to get that out there. But, but on his birthday, it was his 28th birthday. And we were all, 
you know, me and him were drinking because we're usually the last two up. And then I went downstairs to fall asleep and his girlfriend at the time went upstairs to his bedroom. And at some point from then when I woke up, I guess he took a whole bottle of morphine pills. Oh. And like, and like I got up and I sat down, turned on the TV. I, I smoked at the time. So I lit up a smoke, hung out. It was, it was like a good half an hour. And then I got up from the couch and I looked behind and he was dead on the ground. So you found him. Yeah, I found him. He was just blue. Oh my God. And and so, you know, you know, first like I I was freaking out and then I called a buddy. I'm like, Oh man, like, what am I going to do? And they're like, well, clean up the house, like get everything like incriminating out of the house. And then you got to call. Cause like, well, first he said like, is he dead? Like, 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 is there no point in calling an ambulance right now? I'm like, Oh yeah, he's dead. And so I, you know, so I cleaned, we got like, you know, I got all his guns out. He had a gun there and he had like all this money and like incriminating stuff. And uh, yeah. these police, we had these police uniforms because we were going <laughs> to cops. And like, that was our next scheme. We were going to dress up as cops and like shake down other drug dealers. <laughs> I thought it would have been great, but you know, fate had its way. And um, so back to your question, if he didn't die, I'd still be doing it. Really? So, yeah, because then afterwards, like, the vultures came out, man. And, like, because, like, Jeff became, like, the top guy of our gang. Yeah. And our gang was, like, the largest gang in Edmonton at the time. Oh, like, crazy. Eight. Yeah. And, like, Jeff was, like, one of the top players. And, like, so the vultures came out. And they're just like, oh, yeah, they tried to get me close to them. Or, like, I could just really see that everybody was being really shady. And then, and then I took over his operation. And then I got busted. And the second I got busted everybody like pretty much walked away from me. Right. Right. And then I was like, well, I did this for loyalty. And like the man that I was loyal to, loyal to was dead. And I, I like, I wouldn't piss on any of the guys around me if they were on fire at that point. So I was like, fuck it. I'm done. So you went to jail then? Yeah. Was that like drum Heller or where was that? No, I went to provincial because I got 15 months. Oh, okay. Less than two years. So I went to, it was in Calgary. It's called Spy Hill. Okay. And it's like right across from the Calgary Remand. And that's just a provincial prison. How, what's it like in prison? I mean, is it like on TV? <laughs> um, kind of. It's not as glamorous yeah. as TV makes it to be, you know, like, especially where I was with provincial. So you're with a lot of guys, like a lot of them are like people there on fines. Like one guy was in there for extortion but he had his charges severely reduced. So like, that's why he was serving less than two yeah. years. I met this guy who robbed a Mac store with a baseball bat type of thing. Okay. Yeah. And in, in provincial prison, it's not like federal prison, federal prison. Like that's big boy jail. That's like, you got to like <laughs> carry yourself and handle yourself and you've got to play the politics there. Where yeah. I was like, all it was is like, you know, so like three gang manger, uh, gang members would come into your cell and shake you down for a bag of chips. You know, <laughs> did you ever get shaken down for chips? Uh, yeah, one time. Like, you know, I think he just wanted to prove a point. Yeah. Him and his gangbangers came in. They're like, give me a bag of chips. I'm like, and I kind of played it off. Like, I wasn't like, I wasn't like, oh, no, no, please don't hurt me. But I also wasn't like Mr. Ultra, like tough guy, like going to take on all four guys in my cell. Like, I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, sure. You want to borrow a bag of chips? You can borrow a bag of chips. Like, you got to <laughs> play it off. And like, that's what I learned. That was the first thing Buddy told me before I went in is like, you got to watch your language how you're going to speak and carry yourself. Like that's good. Like that's you're basically playing a game of poker with these guys and you don't want them to see your, your cards. So I know it's like Canadian prison goof is like one of the worst terms you can call someone. If someone called you that today, just like, but like, 
and they meant it in a mean way. Like, is that something that you would like fight over still? Or is that something like you would shrug off now and be like, whatever? Well, the way I, I mostly carry it now, well, chances are nobody's going to come up and just call me a goof. Yeah. Like, if they're already calling me a goof, like chances are we were going to fight before that. Yeah. But, but I would take it as severe disrespect, especially yeah. if the person knew what that meant and he was calling it that to me. I take it as like how to handle that. Like that's changed since I was young. Before, drop of the hat. Like that's what me and the boys did back in the day is that after we were like a, a shift to selling drugs, we'd go to the bar. And then, like, there'd be, like, 10 to 20 of us and, like, just young kids with, like, a lot to prove. And we'd go to the bar and we'd just, we'd just turn those bars over. Like, we'd look for the biggest, meanest guys. And as long as they weren't, like, connected to a gang that was, you know, that was off limits, like, it was fair game. Like, let's just go, you know, beat the shit out of them. And um, so, yeah, but now as an older man, someone who's been to prison and, like, I just, I wouldn't do, I wouldn't fight. Yeah. Like I've known too many guys. I like one of my best friends was stabbed over like a bar fight and like he died in the streets of Edmonton oh, over something crazy. stupid as like his girlfriend, like the guy who stabbed him was his girlfriend's ex-boyfriend and she went up and hugged him and he took that as disrespect and you know, they got in a big fight and he just got stabbed in the liver and that's where yeah. he died over, over disrespect over some chick that wasn't even worth it in my opinion. Yeah. Can we, t- okay. So you have lots of tattoos, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you have your face, your head, your neck, like everywhere tattooed pretty much. Yeah. Um, on Twitter, there was a person, general, strike underscore general, and like I think yeah. this tweet has been deleted since then. But they took a photo of you at a bar, and I'm just going to read out what the thing says. Um, Edmonton two months ago, SS lightning bolts on his head and breed in quotations on his arm. Even three years ago, people like this wouldn't have been comfortable showing this in public. Why do you think they are today? What's changed? I know from living with you and being a person of color that you're not racist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're like the furthest thing from it. Um, but like, how did you feel when you saw it, when someone showed you that tweet with the, your own I photo? Was, I was annoyed. Um, but I'll, I'll say this. I wasn't surprised. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I've been a skinhead for like 20 years, almost 20 years now. So people assuming I'm like a neo-Nazi, that just, that's an everyday thing. Like, but like when I saw the photo, I honestly thought I'm like, like it was just a matter of time before somebody took a picture of me and like post to like use it for their extreme agenda, whether it's yes. like a left wing extreme or a right wing extreme. And yeah, I just, I was really, really annoyed. And I just wanted, I want, like what I wondered was why didn't this person come up and confront me? Yeah. Why did this person hold on to a picture for two months? <laughs> of some random person that he thought was like some neo-Nazi fascist. Yeah. And sit on it and then use it for some <laughs> argument on Twitter. Because that's what it was. Like, that's yeah. what the thread was. He was debating with someone that, that because conservative party is getting stronger, that there's more fascist people walking around. <laughs> and that's what I was just really annoyed at that. And that's why I was like, I just started like, you know, I took it. I owned the picture. I yeah. screenshot it. I put it on my Instagram. I'm like, look at this tool. Because I tried to like, because I, I had friends already messaging him being yeah. like, hey, man, like, you should take this down. Like, you don't know this guy. Like, you're completely wrong. And then after I posted that, like, like my heart warmed. Like, it, it turned into a really good day because, like, so many of my friends, like, they were just, they just jumped on this guy and, like, they personally messaged him. Like, I know you, you were a part of that. And yeah. just, like, you got the wrong guy. And, like, like, we love this guy. And you're, like, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. And I just, I, that's what I really took from that. And mind-blowing to have someone take your photo 
in public yep. without you knowing and then sharing it online calling you a racist or a fascist yep. talk about the skinhead thing um not mm-hmm. a lot of people know like people just assume like oh you're a skinhead then that means you're white power or you're yeah. like a nazi supporter or whatever um can you tell me can you tell me and maybe just the audience um like what skin like traditional skinheads stand for just so we don't think like that anymore yeah for sure um it's a subculture like punk rock is like goth is like all that stuff it's 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 different than all of those even punk rock because it's basically the underline is working class roots it's just it's a working class subculture and like that's the way i was raised like my dad was a boilermaker mom worked you know shift work and Mm -hmm. and it's just in, in the music a lot of music and fashion it's just, I've always liked the fashion. The first time I ever saw a skinhead, like when I was like 15, I was like looking at like a Dropkick Murphy's, like the back of an album. And there was like yeah. a skinhead there. Like, I'm like, that guy's cool. And I wanted to know more about like what that was about. Cause at first, you know, you think like American history X, stuff like that. Yeah. And then I got into like, like the roots of it all. And like the original all comes back from England. That's where the subculture started in the late sixties. And it was like an anti hip hippie subculture movement. And uh, it was just about people not ashamed of being working class and like, you know, working for a living and, and just connecting with like the Jamaican immigrants that were there and they listened to like reggae and ska and like the skinheads loved it. And then just got together, they would all dance around. And, and for me, what I took from it was like the revival in the eighties of skinheads, the skinheads of culture, which was a lot of punk rock influence. Yeah. And just a lot of like a mean, no bullshit. Like, you know, you look your enemy in the eye and you know, just don't give a fuck about the world thinks about you. And that's totally who I was, especially like as a young man, it was just like, you know what? I'm a little different. I don't like to get pushed around by anybody. And, you know, maybe I had something to prove. Maybe it was a little bit of that, but I just, I just really took to that subculture of working class, punk rock, no bullshit attitude. When I was younger or we were younger, there's a lot of skinheads in Edmonton, like Blake Jackman, just like mm-hmm. all of his friends and stuff. But like, so what is the skinhead scene in Edmonton like now? Now there's, there's a few skins kicking around, but um, I don't know. It's, it's definitely faded. It's not like it was in like the early 2000s. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I can answer that question because I've always just been, I've always considered myself like a lone wolf amongst them like i'm like we're all friends yeah it was like contributing to the scene and you know trying to get like you know fresh cuts and more people <laughs> in like that's a personal choice like if there's less skinheads it just means they don't want to be skinheads yeah and you know it's fine like I've, I've never i never had you know visions of like 200 skinheads marching down white app go to the <laughs> pub you know like it, it was just you know it is what it is you get what you put in i guess because so. the skinheads from back in the day like, as far as I know, most of them have grown out of it or they're, yeah. like, doing something else now. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Like, you know, yeah, um, <laughs> not being skinheads. What does it feel like to be, like, one of the last original ones? I, I don't know if that's a weird question. No, that's not a weird question. Um, it's a question I don't think about, um, but it's a good one. Um, aunt probably feels like when I first became a skinhead. Yeah. Nothing really changed. Like, it's just part of who I am. Like, I don't think that, like, like, this subculture found me. Like, I didn't find it type of thing. You know, like, like it's just, it's so much of my personality. Like, as soon as it, like, I found out exactly what it was, it's like, yeah, this is, like, this is what I've always been. Yeah. And, and to me, it's just what I'll always have been. Like, when I was selling drugs, 
I didn't dress skinhead. Like, like, cause you know, I'm around these, these hardline gangsters. Like that's yeah. what they were. And like, it was very like super macho, super, but like, you know, super macho, like dress smart, dress good and stuff like that. You're not walking around with like some punk vest, like hanging yeah. out. With, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, um, so I kind of hung up the boots, you know, took a little break from the subculture cause I was doing that, you know, I was doing that criminal thing. Right. And then after I got out of jail, you know, I was having a hard line look at myself, like not, never having like a real job, never, never, um, what am I trying to say? Never like, you know, being away from so long and so much time went by and, you know, like the last show I went to, like, it was like when I was like 17, 18 years old and, yeah. and here I was as like this 24 year old man now. And I'm like, well, I want to get back into it because that's what I remember, you know, really feeling like myself and being happy and you know I, I just went out bought a pair of boots again and you know yeah. threw on some suspenders and walked into a dv8 on 99th street and people were like hey i've never seen you before and yeah that, that felt really good and um and that's just what i've been doing and so that's how i feel now huh. is when i feel then it's like i'm just doing what i'm doing what i'm doing how often do you wear braces now so braces are suspenders for the listeners yeah um not too often, like when I want to get dressed fancy. Like, let's say if I, if I have a date with a girl, Aww. and I know she, re she really likes the, the skin I look. If this girl really likes it, oh, I'll throw them on. Like, <laughs> I've got my boots polished and all that. I'll wear my best jeans, and I'll throw on some suspenders and, you know. And your flight jacket or your bomber. Yeah, yeah my bomber jacket, yeah. What? I, I'll dress up for, like, you know, just something nice. But when I'm going to shows and stuff like that, I just like a band T-shirt, pair of jeans. You know. Do you still wear boots? I don't remember. I feel like yeah, you wore boots all the time. Yeah, but since I went vegan, um, I went and I found these vegetarian boots, which look like Doc Martens, like they're the really okay. super high boots, and they're all vegan leather. So, what is yeah. it like being a vegan skinhead? Um, it's there's a lot more of us than I thought. Yeah, like you know, through social media, and then like when I traveled to Europe, I met a lot of skinheads, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I'm vegan." They're like, "It just makes sense." I'm like, okay. Yeah. It's hard to imagine a vegan skinhead. Yeah, um, I, I can see that because of like the whole macho element of it all. But um, the reason I got into veganism, like this one skinhead anyway, um, was out of spite. I was, I was dating a girl at the time and she was vegetarian. And uh, during Netflix, they had like a whole bunch of these vegan documentaries. So one day we're all really bored and we just watched all of them. I'm like, all right, I'll give it a shot. I'll, like, I'll hear what they got to say. And what I took from it, like the first thing I took from it was how, how, like, how many people are suffering and addicted and are like, dying from eating animal products, like from heart disease. Like the number one cause of heart disease is from eating animal products. And like, that's, just, that's just a proven fact. And, and I was so mad. I remember I got up and I was like, yelling because like, I had to go to prison for selling a substance that doesn't kill like a tenth of what heart <laughs> disease kills. And so I went upstairs and I, I yelled at her. I yelled at my roommate, Blake, Blake Jackman. I'm like, I'm vegan from right fucking now. I'm like, fuck the government. Fuck everybody's a part of this. Like they think that, and I was like, you think they got me hooked? You think you're going to kill me? And I just <laughs> went to my fridge, my pantry, and I threw it all out. And, I remember then, that moment. <laughs> you were there. You were upstairs with Blake. Cause I'm like, yeah, I'm vegan now. Cause like, Fuck you, fuck the world. And then and then after a couple of months, I started feeling really, really good. And then 
we're, I was watching a, a thing about animal rights with my girlfriend at the time, and uh, it was showing how these animals in factory farms, if they're not given a lot of space or, like, you know, with nothing to do, like, they yeah. will help, they'll, they'll do self-harm. Like, they'll hurt themselves. And, like, like they were showing this one pig was smashing its face against the bar of whatever cage it was confined to. And I remember I met a guy in jail, and he told me he did a lot of time in solitary confinement. He did, like, two years in the hole, basically. And he had a bunch of scars on his forehead. And, I, and like, and then he told me, he's like, yeah, I have these scars from bashing my head against the wall because I was just, I needed stimulation. And right there, it clicked for me. I'm like, these animals feel, like, think and feel emotion-wise the same way we do. And, like, they never did nothing to me. So then, and, that, and that's where my whole, the whole, and, you know, at first I started veganism out of spite. But now I say it's for, you know, it's for animal rights reasons. And that's where the connection was for me. Can you talk about the spade on your face, please? My murder tear? <laughs> yeah. Do you remember? Okay. So we were at, <laughs> like, some craft market. And you came yep. to visit because Blake was selling his stuff there. Um, and then this girl was like, she asked if that, if you murdered someone because you had a spade underneath your eye tattooed. Yeah. Well, if I remember correctly, she called it, she went up to you and she was like, right. there's a guy with a murder tear here. <laughs> and you were like, oh, like that's, that's like our friend, Alan, like that's a spade. <laughs> and she's like, oh, and I'm like, and then like, I went over to her and I think she was just finished telling you about it. I come over like, oh, hey, how's it going? And she like, I remember the look on her face. She was like, oh my God, like, why is this person here? <laughs> Do you yeah. get that reaction a lot? Sometimes. A lot of times I'll have the blinders up, you know, like just being this heavily tattooed, like, yeah. like I just have the blinders up. Like if I just don't feel like it, like I don't feel like dealing with people's like, you know, reaction towards me, I'll just have the blinders up and I just do my thing. But yeah, a lot of it is a lot of positive, like, like, especially older people, like they're like, oh, wow, that's super cool. And like, and like, I thought it was, you know. And like some days I'm like, you know, you're not feeling that great about yourself or whatever's going on. And then yeah. you go up there and somebody's like, man, you're really cool. Like, even if like, you don't know this person, you're just like, okay, right on. And then they and tell you about the tattoos that they want again. And you're like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> well, sometimes I don't care. And sometimes I got no, like, I got nothing going on. Like, I don't feel like looking at my phone. All right. Show yeah. me a tattoo. Like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. But you know, then it. But then I don't feel bad when I stop the conversation after that. Like, I'm like, okay, you show me your tattoo after you saw mine. All right, I don't feel the need to talk to you anymore. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do yeah. you think you're going to get, like, have you gotten any more face tattoos since I last saw you, like, two years ago? Well, I got my lightning bolt on right. my right side. Right. And um, I guess I got the, 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 you know, the movie Death Proof by Quentin Tarantino? Right. yep. You know, the, the skull on the hood? Yes. I got that. That's kind of close to my face. That's more like that muddies the water between skull and face. So yeah, <laughs> and I, but I think that's going to be it because, you know, I can't let anything disrupt, uh, get in the way of this face. I mean, <laughs> your model face, actually, Alan, like, I think you're a pretty good looking guy. You could be, a model. and you're tall, Thank right? You, Someone please yeah. hire Alan to be a model for their clothing company. Any listeners? I'll do it. Yeah. I need a job. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you, babe. That's sweet. You're welcome. So one last question. Mm -hmm. If you were to give someone life advice from like one piece of vital advice for their life from all your experience, what would it be? Oh, that's a good question. Honestly, my advice would be don't go through life thinking that you're right. You know, don't be afraid to be wrong. 
Because right. everything I've done in my life has pretty much been wrong. <laughs> and the way I've gotten through that and learned from that is by admitting that I've been wrong and admitting that I'm not right. Like there's a good chance that I'm not right about a lot of things right now, but I'll figure that out later. That's my advice. I like just, that. Just don't be afraid to be wrong. Just don't be an idiot too, though. Yeah. Well, yeah. Why don't be wrong. a joke. <laughs> don't think you're the greatest thing that ever walked there because you're not. There's always going to be someone better looking, someone stronger, someone smarter, someone faster. Just take it easy. Have a good time. Have some fun. If you want to connect with Alan directly, you can find his Instagram information in the show notes. New episodes will drop twice a month, so make sure that you hit subscribe to avoid suffering from FOMO. And if you like this episode, have comments or questions, feel free to leave a comment below. If you want to chat with me between episodes, you can follow me at, at HelloBeverly. It's Beverly with an L-E-Y on all social media platforms. You can learn more about Strangers in Passing and catch earlier episodes at strangersinpassing.com or wherever podcasts can be found. And if you find yourself face-to-face with someone like Alan, why not say hi or smile? Unless they're carrying brass knuckles, then maybe run away. Far, far away. <laughs>